In this episode, we speak with Mark Machen, co-founder and CEO of Opto Investments. Opto Investments platform provides financial advisors with expert insights and tools to help them discover, execute, and service private investment strategies, such as private equity, real estate, and venture capital that help their clients build long-term wealth. The company is backed by Tiger Global, 8VC, and MSD Capital, among other notable investors. Prior to joining Opto Investments, Mark was the president and CEO at CPP Investment Board, one of the world's largest and fastest growing institutional investors with net assets over $520 billion. Mark spent the first 20 years of his career with Goldman Sachs Investment Banking, culminating in his role as Asia X Japan Head of Investment Banking and Vice Chairman. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. We hope you enjoy the show. If you like the episode, click the subscribe and drop us a comment. RJ Lumba is the managing partner of GrowthCap and the executive chairman of Market Insight Media. He is the host of Growth Investor, a podcast featuring today's best investors, executives, and founders. In the minutes ahead, we'll uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's a delight to be with you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So I read that you were in stealth mode for some time, presumably building out the product and maybe tweaking the strategy. You exited stealth mode, and now you're here for all the investors and RIAs out there to access the private markets. I feel like this is a solution that has been tried in the past. And so I'm really curious to get your take on how Opto Investments is different. Yeah, there's a few aspects how we're different. One is that we are completely focused on the independent RIA and trying to provide the best solution for the independent RIA to access alternatives. And so we're not another B2C trying to disintermediate the RAA. We're not another placement agent making fees from GPs for distribution and various channels. We are entirely and solely focused on the success of the independent RAA and obviously the success of their clients. And so there's a lot of people in this ecosystem. I don't think there's anybody else out there that is entirely focused on that independent RAA and the success of their clients alone. So that's how we fit in and that's how we're different. The second thing is we're using our technology to provide a customized solution for each of the RAA's clients, which is an inefficient thing to do without technology. So we're using our technology to enable that. So for every one of an RAA's top clients, they can look at the portfolio, they can analyze it, and they can decide what's the appropriate exposure to alternatives. And then we have pre-curated, really high-quality building blocks across various sleeves that they can then access to start the client on the road to that ultimate alternatives exposure. So it's customized, it's differentiated, and it's entirely focused on the RA and the RAA's success. Yeah, for those of us who are on the perimeter and maybe just reading the headlines around this space, there's folks like iCapital as well as Case who it seems like are in some way playing in this space, perhaps you can shed a little bit more light on how you're different than their approaches. I believe when iCapital started out, they went straight to family offices and trying to go down to the price point or the investment amount of 100000 
And then with Case, I think they have pre-approved asset managers, private equity firms on their platform, and then they give access to RIAs and other types of investors. So maybe a little bit more about the nuance, that would be fantastic. I think one thing that we're different from a number of other people out there who are placement agents or distributors is that we've not been paid by the GPs. So we're not being paid by funds for distribution. And what that means is that we can, with complete hand on heart, look the RAA and the RAA client in the eye and say, look, the only way we're getting paid is by you and your long-term success. And therefore, uh, we are entirely on your side and we can be truly selective on who we put on our platform. And we want to have really high bar for the venture capital funds, for the private equity funds, for the credit funds, you know, et cetera, that we have on our platform. And so by not being paid by the more distribution, by not being paid by the GPs, we have no conflict of interest. And so we can be truly really conscious and have that high bar on what we have on the platform. So that's one major difference. And that allows us, secondly, to make these customized recommendations using the technology we built, analyze client portfolios to make a customized recommendation for each of the client's portfolios, and then recommend these high quality building blocks to get people on that path to an appropriate false exposure. So that's a little bit about how we're differentiated. Happy to talk more about that. Maybe we'll come back to this topic, but I'd like to switch gears a little bit because you have a fantastic background and inspiring. It, it seems like you've gone from a successful career in investment banking towards investing and now towards leading a tech company. Can you tell us a little bit more about your journey? For sure. It's been quite a long journey. I mean, I've been very lucky in my career. I spent 20 years at Goldman Sachs in various leadership roles. I, I was a partner at Goldman for about nine years. Then I joined a very large asset owner, the biggest pension fund in Canada, Canada Pension Plan. And they are a independent from government, they're a purely an investor, an asset owner, and they run about half a trillion dollars. Uh, and I was lucky enough to lead that organization for five years. And it was a fabulous opportunity to see the whole range of investing from public markets, private markets, credit, equity, real assets, you know, liquid, illiquid. And we had a huge appetite for risk and illiquidity given the nature of the liabilities of the pension fund. We were very fortunate with the money we had, the inflows we had. And so therefore, that gave me an incredible insight into what is called in the retail world, the alts universe. So this sort of illiquid world. Two-thirds of CPPIB's, you know, Canada Pension Plan's portfolio was illiquid. So if you define alts as illiquid investments, it was about two-thirds of about $600 billion of invested capital. So a lot of money. And so I saw every major fund across every part of the alternatives universe and was able to see good from bad and good from indifferent. And we were very disciplined and able to select what we thought were the highest performers across different sleeves. And also we did a lot direct as well internally as CPPIB, which is something that requires a huge amount of internal infrastructure. I had 2,000 people and nine offices around the world. So it was a great big investing organization. That's difficult to replicate in an RAA context. And now you're synced up with an elite team in the technology space, in the financial space, in the investing space. How did you get to sync up with Joe Lonsdale and the rest yeah. of the group? I met Joe almost when I put my bags down in my office in Canada in 2016. And I was invited to a social event at which Joe was 
there. We hit it off. We got on really well. And whenever I went over to San Francisco, uh, where he was living at the time, I, I'd drop in on him. We'd have a breakfast, lunch, dinner. And, and so we stayed in touch over the years. And, you know, we're talking about a whole range of things. But one of Joe's passions, one of the investment sleeves he's had at his uh, fund, ABC, is in alternatives and trying to solve all the various barriers to broader ownership of alternatives uh, by people in the US. And so he's built a number of companies, most notably Adipa, which is, is focused on reporting and analytics for alternatives. But there's a, there's a whole range of other companies, for example, Anduin, which is focused on the sort of documentation, subscription documentation, and on and on. As I was thinking about stepping down from CPPIB after my five years running it, we got into a conversation about a company that he was thinking of putting together, which is what is now Opto, and really trying to solve the challenges that the independent RIA has on investing in alternatives and really focused on that, whether it's the education aspect, just making sure that advisors who spent long careers advising their clients on stocks and bonds and traditional investment and state planning and other things, but are less comfortable when they get into the alternatives world and trying to help them have access to first-class thinkers and education on alternatives. And then when they get through all of that, trying to make sure that they are providing appropriate guidance for their clients on exposure to alternatives, what's the right exposure. And then when they get through all that, making sure that they are actually getting access to differentiated and high quality investment opportunities in the space and not just getting the dregs, you know, what's left behind from other people's distributions or things that everybody has and they're just widely distributed everywhere, but really differentiated things that Joe himself would see in his networks. That's what we want to provide for these RAAs. And so, that, so that's the conversation we got into. And I, the more I thought about this, the more excited I got, given I'd seen what good looks like from running at Big Acidona and got really excited about the potential of bringing that to the wealth market in the US. So I told Joe, look, let's do it. You know, I'll dive in and join the founding team. We've got an excellent, incredibly experienced team of people who've got a lot of experience in this channel and a lot of leading technologists. You know, and I love the idea of bringing together first-class Silicon Valley technologists that we could buy from you know, a lot of legacy firms from you know, Joe's Universe, including Palantir, Adapar, and other first-class Silicon Valley organizations. And then bring that together with first class financial experts in creating this company. And that's what we got at Opto. And I'm really excited to have it up and running. And how much of what you do is curating the investment opportunities? So making a judgment on whether or not a GP is fit to be within your platform. That's really important. And so we have a team in house that does you know, enormous amount of work trying to figure out who really are the leading fund managers in each of the five sleeves we're offering. We're offering five sleeves. So venture capital, private equity, real estate, infrastructure, and private credit. We're searching for the fund managers that we have the highest conviction in, in those sleeves and the funds that are coming along. And we use all of our internal expertise. I sit on that investment committee. We have external advisors we work with as well. So it's a double check on things that we might have missed. And then we use our networks. So, you know, in particular, obviously in venture capital, Joe has a particularly differentiated network. And then I've got the Acidona network around the world that I can use as a sort of third line just to check, have we missed anything? What, what do you think? And there's three lines of 
chatting, you know, internal using our advisors and then the networks really allow us to have a high degree of conviction in what we're putting on the platform. And it's important, particularly in venture capital, as you know, where over the last decade or so, there's been a lot of luck as well as some skill. And differentiating that luck from skill is sometimes difficult. But when you've actually been involved in deals with people, involved in investments, involved in investments that have not gone as well as you had hoped and seen how people work to turn them around and competed with people, be on the opposite side of the table from people, sold things to people. You know, if you've been in that ecosystem, then you have a much, much better chance of being able to judge true skill from luck. That's what we're trying to find out. Yeah, I'm curious. Is there a common characteristic that you would see where private equity or growth equity or venture firms were able to more consistently perform than others? And what drove that? What was the fundamental nature or setup of that GP where they could consistently perform? I think there's a whole range of things that go into this. And that consistency across vintages is particularly evident in venture capital, you know, somewhat in private equity and somewhat in the other sleeves. And you know, it comes down to a number of things. Well, one is credible network of finding opportunities so that people want to go to the funds that have demonstrated success or the individuals, you know, you know, we've invested in new funds. Those people are luminaries in the valley, if you will, and people want to go to them for their next early when they're, you know, with a high quality company. So, so that network. Secondly, truly adding value to companies. And so a lot of people talk about this, but actually truly having the resources, the capabilities, the the network to actually add value to companies, you know, is something that I think means, again, the companies actually truly increase in value and uh, people want to come back to them. And then it comes down to basic investment skills, buying well and selling well. So buying well, adding value and selling well. But having the financial skills to be able to be disciplined on what you're buying and disciplined on exits is really important. And I think staying in your lane on your expertise as well. Some of the better investors are people who don't get tempted to do everything from seeding all the way to buyout. You know, well, well, I'll just keep spinning off new entities. That's really hard. And and you start losing your edge because you've just got too many strategies going on. I think there is some value in sticking with your winners and growing with your winners, but you, you got to be careful not to lose that investment edge by going too far with that. So I think some of the better investors are quite dismissed, saying, nope, this is my skill. This is my craft. I'm staying in this lane and, and doing this. So there are a few of the things. I mean, and it goes without saying, I mean, the, the, these people having an internal culture that attracts and maintains exceptionally talented people for long periods of time. I mean, that, that, that's ultimately where the edge is. Mm-hmm. And you touched on value creation. We typically like to ask this question of CEOs of, of the value that their investors have brought beyond simply financial capital. And you have had an interesting experience on both sides. So you can answer this question either from the perspective of being the CEO of a tech company or as having seen many GPs and firms operate, what are the best examples of firms creating value for their portfolio companies? I'll answer it from my perspective here. I mean, obviously, seeing as the company also came out of the build program from ABC, ABC is quite involved in providing strategic advice 
and even more granular advice on direction of the company in different ways. So, you know, if I'm wrestling with some issue, I can call Joe and Joe probably with some I call in five minutes on, you know, what he thinks and what his views are on something. And we have some other similarly engaged investors. I've mentioned, for example, Logan Allen at FinVC, who has huge experience in fintech investing and very interesting perspectives strategically on, on what we're doing. And then people like him and others that we have who are investors have been extremely helpful in simply connecting to great prospects for us, great customers. Uh, so, you know, commercial value, you know, making introductions to people where we might not have an existing relationship. And, you know, I, again, there's almost nothing more valuable than building book of business for us and building our customer base. So I think it can be things that Maybe as simple as that, but you know, the warm introduction from someone who is respected um, and you know, saying, well, here's a group that I trust and respect, you know, is, is very powerful. Before we head into the last part of the conversation, curious about the transition to CEO, tech CEO, because I used to work in banking and I left early, but a lot of my colleagues now are in very senior positions at various investment banks. And I think they're kind of wondering what to do next. They could, I think, retire and coast into the sunset, but they have a lot of years left in them. So what would your advice be? Any insights for that segment of our audience? Yeah. You know, I have a lot of ex-colleagues and friends who are doing that combination of either doing a lot of fishing and lying on a beach or spending a lot of time on investing. And I mean, my view on life is uh, it's finite. I don't believe in reincarnation. I think you got one life. And, you know, I wanted to do a range of interesting and exciting things. And I felt that this was one of the most exciting challenges I could see out there. And the opportunity of working, as I say, with great technologists, with great people in finance, bringing it together and bringing the best of to this huge wealth market in the US was you know, tremendously exciting. It's a lot of work, but it's fun. And it's really invigorating to be working with some great minds and you know, huge amounts of energy on building something out. So for me, for now, it's, uh, you know, it's a fantastic uh, and exciting and invigorating experience. Excellent. Last two questions. Can you tell us about a book that you've read that's had an impact on you? Yeah, I I was going through this and my wife mixed a bunch of the uh, great books that <laughs> I was thinking of as a little too cheesy. I mean, I, I you know, I'm an avid reader of, you know, science fiction and there were a number of science fiction books that I read, but one of the ones that I thought was maybe a little bit more relevant to what we're doing here and was one that was recommended to me a few years ago. So it's not, it's not a brand new book, but it's one called How Not to Be Wrong: The Power of Mathematical Thinking by Jordan Ellenberg, which I, I read several years ago, and I've had to read again, the number of interesting quantitative ways of looking at things, which lead to much better outcomes. It's an exceptional book. I highly recommend it. Excellent. Last question. Can you tell us about a person you admire, and it could be anyone across any domain or field of expertise? Yeah, again, my wife and I were tic-tacking on this one, and uh, <laughs> a lot of my suggestions were a little too cheesy, but I wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for Mrs. Thatcher. I think she made so much profound change in the UK. You know, I came from a fairly ordinary background in the UK. The financial system back before her time in the UK was a, a closed shop for the elite. It was impossible to get in if you were not from you know a certain background. 
and she broke all that up amongst many many other reforms in the uk and allowed people to you know made it a meritocracy and you, you could get in you could get in and you could get on and she allowed the u.s banks in she allowed the goldman sachs into the uk and the goldman sachs didn't care if you your background they just wanted people who could work hard and had some horsepower and that's how i got in and that started my career so if it hadn't been for her i wouldn't be here Great. That's a very interesting answer and one that I'm glad you shed some light on. Mark, thank you so much again for taking the time. I know our audience will find this very insightful. Huge pleasure. Thanks for having me here.